Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Jason McGay. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can I get everyone to stand just for a moment? And let's just, I'm just going to lead you in a quick prayer before we continue with our service here. Father, thank you. Oh, you don't, you can pray along with me if you like, or you can just agree. That's fine. Father, I thank you that you are the giver of life. And I thank you, Father, that you also have forgiven us for everything that we have done against you in any way. You've forgiven us through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that we have a great and awesome privilege to be able to come boldly into your presence. And Father, I thank you that you help us to hear the things that you have prepared for us, your word, in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen, amen and amen. Thank you, worship team. Well, praise the Lord. Some of you may realize that it is a challenge for me to preach with only 40 minutes left on the clock. <laughs> and especially today, because we're going to talk about a Bible word this morning. It's a big, scary word. A big, scary Bible word. Close. Righteousness. Righteousness. Big, scary Bible word. Righteousness. And uh, if you've been in my discipleship classes before, you realize what a challenge 40-minute sermon will be here because we took every Wednesday for about three months to talk about righteousness at about two hours in length every time. So I hope you have your uh, ears listening this morning. I'm not going to be throwing a ton of scripture at you this morning. I do want to share a particular thought, uh, but we'll start with this. What is righteousness? Because oh, Bible class, school students, you have to be quiet on this one. Um, many of you already know. But when we talk about righteousness, often we have some very funny ideas as to what that is, right? In fact, I mean, out in the world, you don't even hear the word righteousness, yeah, you don't hear the word, I mean, in the 70s, you may have heard righteous, and that was used in a different way, but you don't really hear the word righteousness a lot. So what is righteousness? And often people will connect that with the church, and when they connect righteousness with the church, they often connect it with, well, you just have to you always be on your best behavior. You know, you got you to gotta walk a certain way and live a certain way. And it's no fun, and, you know, you just don't get to enjoy anything in this world because you're going to live a righteous life. And often that's what people think when they hear the word righteousness. And then if you've been in church for any length of time, when you hear the word righteousness, you think, uh-oh. There's a lot of Christians that think, you know, I'm sure that when I said we're going to talk about righteousness today, there were some hearts that were like, uh-oh. And guilt begins to rise up on the inside, like, what's he going to talk about? Am I going to feel guilty now? Because we associate righteousness often with legalism. Too often, righteousness is, is associated with a legalistic behavior. 
And the church, unfortunately, in the past has been famous for legalistic behavior. And so I think that perhaps it would do us some good to talk about righteousness today, the way that the Bible shares righteousness and teaches righteousness. So what is righteousness? Bible school students? Right standing with God. That's the primary definition. Right standing with God. So there's two aspects of righteousness. Not just one. Most of the time we think of righteousness as doing all the right stuff. You got to behave the right way. And that's righteousness. And there is an aspect of that that is true, sure. But it isn't the only aspect of righteousness. So, the other aspect of righteousness is right standing or right relationship. Okay? Two aspects of righteousness. Let me give you an example. Now, I know for all you husbands out there, this has probably never, ever happened to you. So, I might be, you might not be able to relate in any way. But I'm sure that if you've perhaps said something carelessly to your wife, and it made her very upset, suddenly you find yourself in a place where you no longer have right standing with your wife. That, that no longer right relationship there. No, but no one, no, just me? Okay, just me. But really, from the Bible's perspective, that's what righteousness is about. It's about having a right relationship, first of all, with God, and then with other people. And we can understand that here in this world because you know when you have two friends and they get into an argument and they're at odds with one another, that right relationship is now in jeopardy. There is no peace in that relationship. Does this make sense? Back to the husband example. You did something like, you left a dish out on the counter overnight and you didn't put it away in the morning and you went to work and you were like, oh, forgot about that. And your wife had said, those dishes need to be in the dishwasher first thing because you know, and you left the house and now you're on the way back home and she gets home before you do. And you walk into the house and you're thinking, there's no peace in this house. I'm just, I just can't, it's been a long day at work and I can't relax, I can't enjoy myself. Why? Because you are not in right relationship with someone in that house. And we come up with many funny sayings, you know, happy wife, happy life, things like that, happy spouse, happy house, all that kind of stuff, right? Why do we say that? Because we understand instinctively. I mean, there's even proverbs in the Bible that say, you know, it's better to live in the corner of the roof of your house than it is to have a disagreeable wife, an ornery, argumentative wife. So, there are many husbands who are living on the corner of the roof because they have not understood this very thing. So, we understand instinctively right relationship is very important. If you don't have it, you don't have peace. You don't have peace with that person in that sitting, in that place. 
Even in work relationships, we understand it the same way. You did something and made your boss upset. Maybe you spent a little bit more money than the budget allows, and maybe you feel like you've got good reasons to, right? And you walk into the boss's office, and he's got that look on his face. And you know you know, the boss is not happy with you. It makes for a difficult work environment because you're at odds. It, there's no peace there. Or maybe you got into an argument with a coworker, and you're in the office there, and you've got to sit across from them, or you have occupy the same space with them. And because there's been argument there, you're not at peace in your own work environment. Again, just me, maybe? No? We can all relate to some extent. So right relationship is important because when we have it, you have peace. The Bible talks about righteousness and peaceful habitation, dwelling in peace. When you have righteousness. Again, righteousness is a Bible word. But when, you're, when things are right with other people, you have peace with other people. So your Bible, the, you know, I don't not to be too dramatic, but the entire Bible is all about having a right relationship with God and what happens when you don't. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve chose to go their own way, to do their own thing. Like the song says, I did it my way. And they did. They did it their way. But their way wasn't God's way, and it put them at odds with God. And that right fellowship, that right relationship that they had with God was broken. Now, God didn't get upset in the sense of just like, you know, go over and pout and cry in his beer or something like that because my man sinned against me. He didn't do anything like that. But from the very beginning, it has always been, I mean, it didn't catch him by surprise either. He didn't run back to the 24 elders and go, did you see what they just did down there? Did you see what they just did? Here, I I create this nice earth for them. They've got everything that they need. Everything is provided. They don't even have to work very hard. I mean, the ground waters the garden all on its own. They don't have to do a whole lot. I just said keep it, protect it, you know, and don't eat of that tree. And what do they do? They eat of the tree. The one thing I tell them not to do, that's what they... Have you ever heard those words coming out of your mouth towards your kids, maybe? The one thing I told you not to do, that's what you do. And there you eat the tree, and now look at them. And he's talking to the 24 elders over there and says, okay, guys, we've got to come up with a plan. Because I, 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 this one was... A, I didn't see this one coming. Blindsided by Adam's sin. So God's trying to come up with a plan with the 24 elders and figure out what he's going to do about it. You don't have that chapter in your Bible? No, because it's not there. Because it was not blind, he didn't get blindsided by man's sin. He knew it was going to happen from the very beginning, and he had a plan in place well before it happened. And right from the very beginning, he had a plan in place to make mankind right with himself once again. That was always his intention. In fact, it's even better than that. But that would take us off into a different area from where we're going to go this, this morning. But yeah, it was not a surprise to him. It was always his intention to have, to have a plan of restoration for mankind. Because all of the world's miseries, 
are the fruit and product of the sin of mankind. All of it. It all comes from a broken relationship with God. That's where it comes from. That's why man can't even understand God. Man, some don't even know that there is a God. The darkness that people live in, the sin and the misery that follows, all of those things are the result of a broken relationship with God, severed and cut off from God. No right standing. And you can read your Bible, and all the way through, right to the end, it has always been about God restoring mankind back to himself. So when you get to the Old Testament, one of the main features of the Old Testament is the law. And we think of the law, and we're like, thank God we're not under the law anymore. And, and yes, praise the Lord, we don't have to do everything that the Israelites had to do under the law. That's a whole lot of stuff. And, you know... We wouldn't be eating bacon at lunchtime today or for breakfast this morning. I mean, there's a lot of things that you were not allowed to do under there. And there's, you know, but the thing is the law was God's standard of righteousness. And it's God saying, listen, if you want to walk with me, then you need to behave this way so that I can walk with you and bless you and take care of you. That's what the law was all about. If you live this way, then we can walk together, and I can take care of you, and I can bless you. And that was God's intention from the very beginning. So, mankind, Israel in particular, um, well, they didn't keep the law very well. In fact, the law proved that they could not. But the thing, there's something that's funny that happens, because when we get over into the New Testament, unfortunately... We have maintained that same mentality that the Jewish people had in the Old Testament. And it's the same mentality of, well, if I do everything right, then I have fellowship with God. Then God will bless me. Then God will take care of me. We start to think like that. But did you know that that is an Old Testament mentality? I'll give you some examples of this Old Testament mentality. You get into trouble. We're talking about financial things. You get into a financial situation. And all of a sudden you realize, I need some help. And you think, well, God can help me. And so you begin to, you begin to think about in your mind, ooh, when was the last time I got my Bible out and read my Bible? When, when's, you begin to think about, how have I been living? If I've, been, if I've been living okay, if I pray, will he, is he going to hear me? I don't know if he's going to hear me if I pray because I haven't been living right. So what you're saying then is, if I've been doing all the right things, then God will hear me when I pray and bless me. Did you realize that that is an Old Testament mentality? It's an Old Testament mentality. Well, you know, I've got to pray a certain way. And we get very educated in the Christian world about all the things that we can and cannot do in order to get God to do stuff for us, unfortunately. So we learn different ways to pray in different situations. And we think, if I pray this way in this situation, then God will bless me. Then God will hear from heaven and answer my prayer. And we begin to say things like, Lord, what must I do to get you to come down and fix my situation? Maybe if I fast, 
Maybe if I pray. Maybe if I live right for a little while till my conscience feels better. Then God will bless me and take care of me. And we think about things that we can do to get God to help us. That is an Old Testament mentality. Because the fact remains that there are no number of right things that you can do to get God to bless you. Why? Because he doesn't want to? No, because you can't earn his gifts. You can't earn what he gives. There's no righteous thing that you can do to get God to bless you. So let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Let's start in verse 5. I think I had it in verse 1 up there, but if you could skip to verse 5 on the screen. Romans 10, verse 5. Now, I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version, so as you all know, Amplified takes like three or four times longer to get through the same number of verses. So please be patient when it comes up on the screen or if you have it on your phone or your paper Bible that you have with you. Romans Romans 10, verse 5. Let's start in verse 5. It says, For Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by it. So Moses, the law, right? Don't steal, don't kill, honor God, honor your parents, right? These things, the law. That's the law that came. So that tells you how, what is right and what is wrong in the Old Testament. Here's what you got to do if you want to get God to... Do something in your life. God, help me. What do I got to do to get you to help me, right? Mentality. Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by it. So it's God saying, listen, if you want to live and live with God's blessing, then you got to keep this law. Verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, okay, so he's drawing a contrast here. Righteousness based on faith says, so it's saying something different than what the righteousness by the law is saying. You still with me? Okay. Righteousness by faith is saying something different. So, Some of the things I start sharing with you today, I'm sure some of you have heard, but it might sound a little bit different than what you've been hearing. It says this, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So the righteousness that's by faith doesn't say that. It doesn't say, who's going to go and, and do all the stuff that's required to bring Jesus down, to bring Christ down, the Deliverer, the Messiah, my answer. Who's going to do all the right stuff to get, that, to get him to answer us? Or who's going to go into the, the abyss to bring him up from the dead? 
Righteousness by faith doesn't talk like that. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. On your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So when you read this, let me ask you this question. Who is doing the work? Who is doing the work? God raised Jesus from the dead. God's doing the work. And this is the thing that sometimes is very difficult for us to grasp. It's difficult sometimes because we tend to think, well, I just got to do the right. I mean, we're raised that way as children, right? If we behave a certain way, you get a cookie, right? Gold star because you behaved a certain way. And we tend to have faith in what we do instead of having faith in what God has done for us. But Christianity is having faith in what God has has done for us in Christ Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead, not because you did all the right stuff. He didn't look at mankind and say, oh, here's a group of people. They're behaving really well. Great, I'm going to send Jesus to redeem them now. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't making them feel all good with goosebumps. And he's like, oh, those people, I just love them so much. I'll send Jesus for them. No, we were the sinners. And he sent Jesus for us, right? You weren't making them feel good and happy by all the good things you were doing. But he sent Jesus for us because he loves us. And that has not changed. That's been that way from the very beginning. It is proof positive that your behavior today can't make God hate you, can't make God be disappointed in you. You can't do enough things to get Him to turn His back on you. Because His love for you hasn't changed and isn't based on your behavior. So your righteousness means very little to God. Because it doesn't move him one way or another. And neither does your lack of it. But your faith in him does. Because when you have faith in him, all of a sudden he can move into your life and do the things for you that he's been looking to do. But when you have faith in him and not in yourself, it means he's in charge and not you. Amen? Christianity and what it really means is an absolute marvelous miracle of God's mercy. It's absolutely so wonderful because while we were lost in darkness, he sent Jesus, the light of the world, to come find us. It means so much to realize that there's nothing that we could have done to get saved. And most Christians understand that, right? Most believers are in that place. Yes, I was lost and you found me. Yes, I was in sin and you forgave me. Yes, praise God, I'm going to heaven when I die. And good, you've crossed the threshold and now you're in. And now that you're in, it doesn't mean you go back to the way things were before and start thinking, well, i got to do this to get God to help me. 
Well, I got to pray 15 times a day, otherwise, you know, he might be upset. Or I got to pray 15 times a day, otherwise, something might bad, ha- might bad might happen to me. And all of those things, that's not God. It, what, that's not how you got saved. So why do we think that if that's not how we got saved, that that's now how we're going to stay saved? That doesn't make any sense. He didn't change his mind. He didn't be, okay, you got in, good, now that you're in. I'm telling you. He's not standing out there, oh, come, come, yes, I love you, forgive you, come in, come in, come in. And then you get in the door and he goes, good, now I got you. All right, this is what you're going to do. You listen to me, boy, I'm telling you right now. That's not God. If you saw someone on the street doing that, what would you think of that person? Liar, deceiver, trickster. So who is it that talks like that? The enemy talks like that. Not our God. Hallelujah. Amen. Your right living should come from your right relationship with God. It's not to get to a right relationship with God. It comes from a right relationship with God. Sometimes we get that all mixed up when it comes to discovering a new relationship. There are many examples of boy meets girl and thinks, oh, what can I do to impress girl? (laughs) Flowers and chocolate and dinner and, you know, all these things. Putting on, you want to smell nice and look nice and dress nice. Putting your best foot forward. But after a little while, you only have so many best feet to put forward (laughs) until until you run out of feet. And so, you know, if you're, if you're good at it, then she might, you might catch her and catch her interest. And then, you know, finally get to that point where you get a yes and you're getting married and you're all excited. And now that you're in, I mean, it's a totally different game now that you're in. I mean, no, that's a different thing. I mean, you did all that. Now you're in. Right? But how often do we look at God the same way? So, in a relationship like that, you're doing all these good, right things to get that relationship, that right standing with your future wife. And once you get married, now I've got that right standing. Right? Do you understand the analogy here? Now I've got the right standing. Then what do you do? You see, your marriage then should be the fruits of that right standing. The fruits of that relationship. The fruits of righteousness in your life. Because I'm telling you, If you have to bring home flowers and chocolate every other week, not only will you go broke, but it's going to get pretty tired after a while. 
And she's going to be like, again? Can't you do something different? I still have flowers from last week. Why? Because all those things don't make a relationship. They're the expression of a relationship. They don't make a relationship. They are the expression of a relationship. And it's the same way between us and our great God. All these wonderful things that we do in good behavior, living righteous, living right, it's not so that we can have a relationship with God. Exactly. It is an expression of our relationship with God. And unfortunately, too many Christians have left behind the relationship part and have just done all the stuff that they think that they need to do to squeak by. Except when they get into a crisis and then they're like, ooh, well, I didn't do all the right stuff. I hope God will hear me. I need him now. How much better is it to live in right fellowship with him all the time? So here's where we're getting to. Well, we got to one verse today, so that's good. Like I said, there's lots of verses that we can get to. I don't think we're going to get to the rest of them. So let me just share a few final thoughts with you here. You know, I say final, that could be another 15 minutes, just, <laughs> just to set the expectation, okay? I'm beginning to close. There, that's what people say, right? Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus did all the right stuff on our behalf. He did everything right. He completely and fully pleased the Father. He did everything right. But he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. And if we hear that word and believe it in our heart and confess that from our mouth, it puts us in his position. It gets attributed to our account. It's like this. You have a team. You have a team, and you're, it's a, a race of teams. So you've got the green team, black team, red team, whatever team color you'd like, and they're in a running race, but only one person from the team can run. So what do you do? You pick the fastest runner because you have the best odds at winning the race, your team, right? Okay, well, here's the human race, and none of us could run very well. So God looks at us and says, all of you are never going to make the finish line. He says, but I knew that would happen. So I've sent my son, and he's the only one who can run the race and finish on time. Jesus ran the race. And if you believe that he did that for you, you get to be on his team, and you get to win. Amen? Amen. That is the truth of the gospel. He did it for us. And if we simply believe that in our heart and confess that out of our mouth, God our Father looks at us and says, you ran the race. Mm -hmm. 
And we look, well, I didn't run the... No, Jesus ran on your behalf. That victory is just as much yours as it is his. And all you had to do to get it was believe that he did it for you. But the thing is, is that when you believe that, he makes it your reality. And our Christian life is every day taking a step in his shoes as he has ran that race. You're not trying to run the race and get beat his time. You are following him as he has ran the race. So you are experiencing the things that he experienced for you. That's what it means to be a Christian. And every day, that perfect runner lives in you. And we think, God, there's so many things that I know that are right and so many things that I know that are wrong. And I don't know the things I'm trying to do, I can't seem to do. And the things I don't want to do, I'm doing that. And what am I going to do? And this is where faith in Jesus kicks in. Because faith in Jesus says, Jesus, you already did everything right. You already ran the race and won the prize and you have given it to me. And I believe that you are treating me as if I am at the finish line today. As soon as you have made Jesus Lord of your life, he considers you, the Father considers you, you're at the finish line. Congratulations, you made it. And you're looking here at all these days ahead of you to run, but he treats you like you've already run and you've already won. This is the grace of God to us in Christ Jesus. You've already won, you've already won in Christ Jesus. And when you put your living faith in Him, confidence in Him, every day, Jesus, you ran this race. Jesus, you know how to behave. Jesus, you know what the right thing is to do. Jesus, you know the right way to go. When you put your confidence in Him, He leads you and He guides you and He makes it your present reality. And you get to experience what it's like to be that perfect runner that's run the race. Because he lives in you. That perfect runner lives in you. So quit trying to measure up and beat his stats and just let him run from within you every day. That's what you have the Holy Ghost for. is to cause you to move in his ways and walk in his ways and live in his ways. He's in you. To live that way. Don't let that gift just be dormant in you. Let him bring it forth. Let him bring it out. Because he know, there's too many things for you to do. There's too many right things for you to do. You'll never get it all done. Quit trying so hard. And on the, on the other way, quit giving up because there's so many things to do. It's both. Quit trying so hard and quit giving up. You think, well, what am I going to do? If I, try, I, if I try, then I end up trying too hard to do everything right. So I'm just going to give up. And then you're over here. I've given up. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to try really hard to do everything right and be frustrated because I can't. Or I'm just going to give up and let the world take me over. Listen, when I give you those two comparisons, I've lived that. So I know what I'm talking about. I've tried to be super Christian over here and made a mess of things and frustrated myself. 
And I've given up. And just let the world take me over. I don't know what to do anymore. And they both are terrible. (laughs) And you might think you only have two choices, but you're wrong. Because that choice in the middle is, I'm trusting you. I can't do it all, and I can't do nothing, so I'm believing that you're helping me. First, I'm believing that you've done it for me. Now I'm believing that you're doing it in me, and soon that will be shown through me. Hallelujah. That is the gospel to us. Jesus did it for you. Jesus is doing it in you, and he's doing it through you to the world around you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, B.C., B3W3B1.